heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. When we think about the medium of talk radio and its a progression over the years, you know, there's just a really, in my world, a couple of iconic voices that come to the mind, you know, at just at a moment's notice. Rush Limbaugh and Paul Harvey. Those are the names, when you think about iconic talk radio, those are the names that are right there on the tip of your tongue, are they not? And you know, those voices, they live on forever. And there's something about that body of work that they have bought to the national earwaves and the national consciousness. They just resonate in your heart. They resonate in your soul. And they, they broaden the scope of the conversation, friends, in ways that barely nothing can touch it. I want to talk to you today about the iconic voice and the soul of Paul Harvey. Well, Paul Harvey, born in 1918, and rest in peace, until 2009. And I remember when Harvey passed away, there was a profound sadness in my soul. I just felt it right there, that we were losing somebody great. And truth be told, just as much as it was when the country lost Rush Limbaugh, it's the same way, mostly because of their contribution to the national discourse and discussion. Now, Harvey was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Not really a surprise there. He was the son of a policeman who was killed by robbers, and that was back in 1921, and you may remember that story. Harvey was a foreign wars correspondent covering World War II in the Pacific against Japan. They're more than speaches, but there, is, there are iconic messages that he delivered to the nation. You remember on policemen and farmers uh, and Christmas and, you know, in one of the biggest ones, If I Were the Devil. And, and you think when he wrote that, what was he thinking? How did he, how was he so prophetic? How could he see? Because as you look back at these and you listen to them, it was like he wrote them yesterday. It, it, it's like, how could he have known all this? I think that's what gets me the most on someone like Paul Harvey. How could he possibly have known? Uh, how fortuitous that he could have, you know, prophetically seen all this coming. And I think the bigger question I would ask is, why didn't we heed his warnings? You know, if I were the devil, it was only 511 words, and yet he could have went on, and it could have been tens of thousands of words for the impact it had on humanity. And, you know, that's the other thing about his work. It's, it's heard so much today. I mean, you see whether on any of the social media outlets or what have you, people are listening to all of his great talks uh, in the way uh, that uh, they connect with it. And, we're, and, and that's the beautiful thing about this medium. We're still able to enjoy the voice and the sound and the messaging of a Paul Harvey. 
you know, the other interesting thing is you look back at if I were the devil or any again of his speeches, I want you to remember one thing. With all the problems we have today in 2022, right? It's hard to fathom we're even saying that year, 2022, but we are. Remember this, Paul Harvey wasn't here with the whole MAGA movement and with the rise of Donald Trump to power and what had happened afterward with Joe Biden. He wasn't here for any of that. He never seen the eight years through the Obama administration of what would take place. Yet all of those rocky seas were just after his death. And yet you go back and listen to his speeches and you think he was here through all of it. And like he knew it was going to happen. You know, when you look at uh, Paul Harvey's obituary in the New York Times, they said this about Paul Harvey. He railed against welfare cheats and defended the death penalty. He worried about the national debt, big government, bureaucrats who lacked common sense, permissive parents, leftist radicals, and Ameris succumbing to moral decay. He championed rugged individualism, love of God and country, and the fundamental decency of ordinary people. My friends, those are incredible values, what I just read to you right there. You know, I take pride in the same way that those are the values that we, that we hold up true and the things we rail against here on America Out Loud would read right into that message in the New York Times and Paul Harvey's obituary. It's the same, it's the same story. It's the same things we do here on air today, which really is a testament to his legacy and where we're at today, my fellow Americans. Now, when you look at everything that has transpired in the world since his death, I think it's about time now that we update, if I were the devil, let's take a leap into 2022 and a current day version, if I were the devil. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd engulf the whole world in darkness. I'd unleash a deadly virus that constantly mutates, and I'd have our communist cousin make it in a virology lab in Wuhan, China. Then I'd help America's left humiliate the United States. I'd set Russia loose on Ukraine, and at the same time have China swallow Taiwan whole and watch Joe Biden and his enfeebled U.S. military leadership fumble over their new critical race theory lessons and their self-serving allegiance. I'd ensure Biden's spineless administration continues fraying and thinning the threads of trust between America and her foreign allies. Well, believe me, my work in Afghanistan was just a warm-up exercise. Hell, if I were the prince of deception, I'd tempt voting officials to look the other way when fraudulent votes are cast and counted. I'd persuade software engineers to hack voting machines and manipulate vote tallies. I'd corrupt every politician in America with sex, money, drugs, and power. I'd start with politicians on the left. Well, they're so easy. After bribing them, I'd expose their sins, eroding the public's trust and pushing this republic to the edge of hell. Next, I'd have progressives and their media lackeys set Americans against each other. I'd sell out the middle class by triggering a nation rapidly dividing itself into halves 
then quarters, then eights, and on and on and on until every neighborhood and every neighbor are at each other's throats. I've used their hostile mythologies about each other to provoke the entitled haves and resentful have-nots to take whatever they wanted from each other at the point of a gun. And I'd order police to stand down and appear clownish. I'd inflame racism, making blacks believe whites are supremacists and seed in Hispanic suspicions that blacks and whites don't want another Mexican ever to cross the southern border, unless it's to go back to Mexico, that is. I'd attack the family, convince the young to skip marriage and remain childless. I'd nudge divorcees along and I'd lie that one-parent families are all the rage. Hell, if the family crumbles, so does the nation. If I were the devil, I'd make it legal to kill unborn babies at any age, even up to birth. Then I'd coerce legislators to make the public pay for these abortions and promise an abortion clinic on every corner. Next, I'd help Planned Parenthood make billions more while convincing the public that abortions help reduce global warming. If I were the master of crime, I'd eliminate most criminal sentences and terminate cash bail altogether, even for murder. Hell, I want criminals out doing what they do best, terrorizing honest people, committing ugly, violent, smashing grab crimes, and making police look silly and useless in the process. I'd arm twist all my district attorneys into saying bail in prison are, well, they're white racist policies meant to keep people of color, mostly black people, in jail and away from their loving families. Then, I, well, I'd hypnotically work the unscrupulous media into empathizing with criminals, claiming the systematically racist system failed them. Every time a police officer shoots or kills a black or brown person in the line of duty, I'd instigate nationwide riots. Then I'd work to trigger widespread arson, looting, vandalism, deadly assaults, and mob violence, all in the name of racial justice. I'd have every backward country empty its prisons and send these criminals into America, across the southern border. I'd gather millions of the world's poorest people and I'd have them do the same. I'd empower ruthless Mexican cartels to bleed America with deadly drugs and traffic humans all across all her states. Next, I'd take God out of every school and make the mere mention of his name grounds for a lawsuit. And in God's churches, I'd substitute psychology for religion and deify corrupted silence. Finally, I'd make Dr. Anthony Fauci a god. With flattery and promises of power, I'd get the courts to vote against God and in favor of pornography. I'd make pornography commonplace and ubiquitous in schools, no age restrictions for viewing, even fewer restrictions to participate in it. I'd push legislators to legalize public prostitution and pedophilia. I'd delude teachers into thinking they're social justice warriors by keeping primary and middle school youngsters to learn that pornography's expected. And your biological birth sex is not necessarily your gender. You could be a boy, you could be a girl, or you could be both. I'd steer teachers into thinking they're doing God's work by teaching critical race theory to unsuspecting children behind the backs of parents, mind you. Now, finally, if I were the prince of chaos, I'd ensure all my progressive socialists and Marxists are reelected and have the tools and resources they need for ultimate chaos, enough chaos to bring this country to its knees and crush it. 
Yes, if I were the devil, my fellow Americans, I'd keep doing what he's doing. Anything to keep you out of heaven. You prove it, you say? Well, just look around. I don't see how he could be doing things any better. You know, in 2022, my fellow Americans, the problems are many. The challenges are off the charts. And you, you look at these words uh, from Paul Harvey, if I were the devil, and, and you take them forward as we just did. And it gives you a sense of the deep divide and trouble we're in as a nation, as a people. How did we fall so far from grace and from good? You know, I, I uh, often say to you, and I cherish the fact that this program on the voice of a nation is about the fight of good and evil. I mean, that, that is where we start here. It's where we finish. It's that fight of good and evil. And when you look at Paul Harvey and you look at that work, if I were the devil, you know, my friends, that is pure evil. And you look at what's happened now in these last many years since Harvey's death, and it continues onward at a rapid pace, almost to the point that you have to stop a moment and pinch yourself and say, is this really happening? And yet it is really happening. It is the fight of good and evil. And it's one we rail against every day here. And, you know, it's, it's a fight worthy of, the, of, of this mission ahead. It's a fight that uh, I, I believe we'll be doing all the way till our very last breath on this planet. It's God's mission. It's what we should be doing here. So I welcome you into the voice of a nation as we take on this, uh, this amazing legacy and this uh, presence that Paul Harvey had with America and the world at large, because people listen to Harvey all over the world. It was a couple of things that did this. It, it was the iconic voice of Paul Harvey, but it was also the words that he chose. The presence, the words that he chose. When you combine all that to the authenticity of a Paul Harvey message, you see what I mean? That th Then you've got the package and you've, got, you've just got something that is not commonplace at all. And you know it when you hear it. There is something about his words and the way he was able to deliver them in a way that would stop you in your tracks, whether you were a farmer, whether you were a policeman, whether you were a truck driver. I mean, he spoke to middle America. No matter what you were doing, when you heard Paul Harvey, you stopped in your tracks and you froze. And you listen to what was his message, what he was exactly saying to you. And, and you, you knew there was truth behind those words. You knew that it was Paul Harvey trying to warn the nation. He was trying to warn the nation of what was ahead. And that if we didn't get it right, there would be a price to pay for this. Now, listen, I... I see this price to pay every day. I feel it in my bones. I feel it in my heart and my soul, my fellow Americans. I feel that price that we pay. I speak to you each day from my heart and my soul, myself, because I see the journey. I see what's happened back in our lives. I see what's ahead in the future. You know, I've been on this journey mentally in my mind since I was 15 years old. 
I knew back then as a young lad that God was going to use me, use Malcolm. I, I had no reason to know otherwise. Uh, I, I really didn't know, but I knew inside of me, it was innate in me that God was going to use me somewhere along the journey of this mission uh, to set the record straight, uh, to try to raise people up, to be aware. Awareness is really what it is. And now that we look at where we're at and taking Harvey's message and then combined with my own journey through this broadcast, I think if I could have changed anything in my life, probably it would have been to start my broadcasting career earlier. I haven't spent 25 years in corporate boardrooms. Uh, you know, I learned a lot there for sure about life. It's like, you know, growing up on the streets, the streets in the corporate boardrooms of America. I mean, it's where we learn. It's, 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 how, we, it's how we get in touch with the real world. At least it was for me. I probably would have started that journey earlier, actually. But here we are today, and now we have a, a journey together. It's a, it's, a, it's a rendezvous, if you will, to bring Harvey's mes message out into the masses and to make people aware that this fight is real. We're making history together. And it's that fork in the road. It's that poetic Robert Frost moment in our nation. Which are we going to take, right? Is it that path forward of good or is it that path forward of evil if I were the devil? Let's bring on now to the program here a very, very dear friend and a collaborator in this massive undertaking and project who's been working with me hand in hand in this uh, journey we have to, to further the legacy, the agenda of a Paul Harvey, but also to expose it to a new generation a new generation who may not know who Paul Harvey is and may not know his messaging and his words so that we can uh, get back to what we do here, which is preserve future generations here. I'd like to bring on my friend and collaborator on this uh, Paul Harvey project here, Daniel Baranowski joins me. And uh, Daniel is a retired healthcare management policy instructor at the Harvard University School of Public Health. Uh, he's the host of the Frankly Daniel Show right here on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Plays on Saturday, Sundays, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. in the afternoons as an encore. And, um, and, you know, for me, it's been a real joy and a privilege, for sure, to have Daniel Baranowski part of the America Out Loud family for a whole host of reasons. Um, it just is. There's something about our America Out Loud family that is, you can't explain it. It's just very, very unique. Daniel Baranowski, my dear friend, welcome to the Voice of a Nation. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you very much for your invitation to join you today on, on this topic, a historic figure that we both admired, Lord, for decades. I, I'm delighted and excited to be part of page two and page three. And the rest of the story today. Yeah. And on I'd, and I'd on be, and on, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity before you get any further, Malcolm, to congratulate you on your marvelous audience and your broadcasting people on this station for a record-smashing fifth anniversary of America Out Loud this year. What, what a tremendous time and place to, to have had you bring this forward. Uh, there's so much thirst for what's on this network. And I applaud all my fellow broadcasters, my nerves. It, it really, 
really is, you know, the scripture says many people are asked, but few are chosen. And Malcolm, you've been chosen, and I'm so happy for it. Mm. And I'm humbled and delighted beyond my wildest imagination to be part of your America Out Loud family. But, but, But what I also like is that you constantly make us feel as if America Out Loud is our our family and that's what keeps us all here working hard every broadcast every day of the week mm. now malcolm you said paul harvey he did if i were the devil in 511 words well harvey's gift was unquestionably brevity i would challenge him today to reprise his original edition in under 2000 words and that's the difference between 65 years ago and today. Things have gotten so out of control that you, you can't even get your hands around it. Anytime you sit down at the computer to try to write about it, you think about it in your mind, it, it's just overwhelming. And, yeah. you know, Harvey really laid it out very well then, but it, it, is, it, it is so expansive today. And, and you're right. It, all of all of what Harvey did and what America allowed is a landmark for is outing the struggle between good and evil. It really is just that simple. Yeah. 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 It, it's um, it is that that was the first message in the broadcast on the voice of the nation. We, we told listeners back then when we launched this program that it was exactly all about that fight of good and evil. It was that first moment, the first breath we took on air, Daniel, and it is today indeed. There is something very unique about uh, this uh, America Out Loud family that we're talking about. And the way I always describe it, Daniel, is it's like a, it's like a magnet. Is the best way I can describe it when you know people wonder how and why and where. You know, sometimes things happen organically. They happen in an organic fashion. Like, did I yeah. ever really know when the lights went on that we launched this? In fact, <laughs> we launched this, by the way, April 1st, 2016. It was no April Fool's, by the way, Daniel. <laughs> but we really did launch it that day. Now, I had no idea at that moment what was to happen, what was to transpire and take place. I really didn't know. I just knew that I was supposed to do this. And there were a lot of uncertainties. And there were a lot of questions. Uh, and there were a lot of challenges right up front. It wasn't a smooth, like, okay, here you go. I mean, sure, all that existed. But I knew somehow we were supposed to drive this down the highway of America. And we were supposed to get this message out there in some fashion. And then what happens is just like a great soup, when you make a terrific soup, you just keep putting in all the ingredients, Daniel, until you've got something really, really special. And then you're able to really taste the, 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 the joy of that soup and what went into it. That's kind of the way I looked at what we've got here. Now, there are days, I tell you, I have to pinch myself to realize what we've accomplished already in the short time we've been in existence and I have to say, have we really done all this? I mean, I, it's, it's unfathomable sometimes that I think we've been able to accomplish these things. But listen, it is a joy for you and I. I cannot tell you what a pleasure it is for me. And, 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 I, don't need, and I don't want you to comment on this, but what a pleasure it is for me to have you, Daniel Baranowski, part of this 
it is my joy to have you. Uh, it's my privilege. It's, I mean, that's the way I look at this. Uh, it is my privilege to have you part of this. And I never, never, uh, I never lose sight of that. Never lose sight of that, do I ever. So having said all of that, I'm thrilled that you're collaborating on this project. Uh, we want to be able to take uh, these, uh, Paul, and let me tell listeners right now, we hope to be able to take these Paul Harvey moments. And I'm going to continue this collaborative project with Daniel Ahead in a very unique way, I think, to bring these. Uh, there's something special here is all I can say to you. And we're going to bring this forward in ways ahead over the next year or so. And really, I, I pray to create one of the most interesting uh, bodies of work that we can look back at and be proud of to think, wow, we really did make a difference here. Never losing sight of the man, Paul Harvey, and who he was and what he did. Now, stepping back from all that now, Daniel, let's move forward here. I want to ask you this. We look at the problems. You said it so well. Okay, so he did the initial one, 511 words. Got it. All of that happened. Today, you'd need thousands. You know, there wouldn't be enough paper. You know, he'd run out of paper or pen or ink or something. <laughs> because you're right. The problems are many when you go and you really sit and you put them down and pen to paper and you think, wow. And it seems like we've become unglued and we've lost track of the big picture in our country, our nation. Um, you see, Paul Harvey, we look at the current generations that may or may not know Harvey, but there are a lot of people who do know what he is. Why is his message so relevant today? This is an important point. Yeah. When we think about Harvey, why is it so relevant? Why does it still speak to so many millions of people around the globe, actually? Well, I, I, there's a couple of things that come to mind. And, and the first one was is a report by the Pew, the Pew Foundation, uh, just reported on television recently that uh, people who identify as Christians is down 22% over this last decade. And, you know, it, it, it brings me back to my social psychology days. It, Freud called what our problem is, he called it the id. You know, others of us understand it as a constant impulse, if, if not held back by our conscience. We're always going to give in to whatever the id's bidding is. And much of the evil in the 20th and 21st centuries has been caused by ideologies that really appeal to our collective id, the impulse to chase evil. And, and, and this flies, it really flies in the, in the face of folks saying, and, you know, some people may immediately react to this, but... People are not basically good, and they're not basically bad either. But, you know, this, this idea that they're going to always do the right thing, and that's a myth, and it's, it's really been exposed. In, in Harvey's time, he was worried about it, and we're certainly worried about it today. I mean, I don't believe, like, once again, people are basically good or bad, but it really comes down to what our parents and our surrounding society and culture support as moral behavior. I mean, look at the communities, be they black, be they white, be they brown. If you don't teach moral values, usually through religious upbringing or some kind of moral anchoring uh, to our children, well, things, things go astray. The id does win. Now, poverty, and this is where the mistake, I think, of the Democrats are. Poverty may give some people a, a false excuse for crime. But, but I don't believe poverty is the root of crime and immoral behavior. It's the absence of God or some moral foundation in their lives. 
I mean, you can't believe and trust, if you can't believe and trust in God uh, from any of the three great religions, uh, you, can't, you can't have those beliefs and then go out and rob and murder other people. I mean, it, it just doesn't work. But today we're being sold this bill of goods in a secular way that if it feels good, do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there doesn't, when you try to sort out good from bad, right from, even these excuses, Malcolm, that we hear that the system failed somebody. <laughs> now that's, you know, that's why I murdered three people today. It wasn't really my fault. I ran them over at a car through a, through a Christmas parade because um, uh, somebody didn't change my diapers often enough, or mm-hmm. I, di- I didn't have a father in the home, which what a turnaround when you when you take a look at this. If the family crumbles, America crumbles, and it's true. And we're being told by Black Lives Matter, a, a Marxist organization, that that one parent families, the maternal family model, is really the right model as witnessed uh, through African culture. I, I I just can't get my mind around how, having gone from eighty percent of fathers in black homes only 20 years ago to 20% of fathers being in those same homes today. And you have grandmothers raising the, you know, kids from, from multiple uh, uh, fathers. There's just a lot of things, but it it all comes back to the foundation of who's teaching our children morals. And instead we're having these fights and well, we should about critical race theory, (laughs) please already. Uh, people, you know, they're more worried about their skin color than learning, you know, what's the right thing to do. And that, and the golden rule that nobody teaches anymore. And that's to do unto others as you'd have done unto yourself. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, keep in mind now, they've put the focus on, uh, when you talk about skin color, that's where they put the focus, uh, Daniel. And it's what I often refer to listeners as the shiny object syndrome. Uh, yes, they're burning down Rome over here and destroying the nation. They've got all this shiny object stuff going over here to amuse people and to keep them divided very clearly. One of the points that you talk about so well there is uh, back to really what Harvey uh, railed against on a regular basis. And that is the moral decay the moral decay. We're sensing it. You're exactly right to bring it back to that. And the, the family, the home uh, in, 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 in God, the, this is the moral decay of a nation. Uh, if you can get the country and the people to forget that those things matter at all, then what happens is uh, then all the rules are gone. There's not, there's no measurement. You, you don't have to measure anything anymore because it, it all, it, like you said, it all feels good. So let's just do it. As, as I say, was it Flip Wilson said, let it all hang out, I think, if it was him. Uh, but, you know, uh, that moral decay that, that Harvey uh, really railed about and, and talked about uh, uh, frequently in his messaging was so, so, so valued, so important. We started to see the erosion of the manger scene 
in, in a very uh, nonchalant way where the ACLU and other great organizations, yeah, for sure, would uh, you know argue and fight about uh, the manger scene at the local Kmart or 7-Eleven, you know? And then of course it was the prayer in the school and the flag, and now you can't stand, you, you know, you can't have the flag, you can't pledge to the allegiance, you, you can't stand for the flag, you have to kneel for the flag. And see, that's where the erosion breaks down and then families don't matter and be whatever you wanna be. And you see, and now you've got a society that is crumbling and coming apart at the seams. Well, my fellow Americans, this is all very, very clear. It is the work of the devil. There is no other. It is Satanist work. It's evil at, at, its, at its pure foundation. That's what it is. And that just tells you the fight we're in here on planet Earth. It, it, and, and, you know, I, we sit here in 2022 and we, we think together, like, how do, for me, I think, how do we change this? you know, how do we change this whole paradigm? How do we get to this next level? What do we, what do we have to do? You know, for those who are in the fight for good and want to preserve the beautiful blue marble and all that it is for future generations. And I, I look at earth as God's gift to mankind. And I think about it in those terms. And I'm afraid if we don't start to heed some of these warnings and take them into our souls and in way, and I'm talking, you know, hundreds of millions of people, if we can't wake people up to what good is and what the truth is, uh, then it's going to be a long road back to that fork in the path and the road there, Robert Frost, it's going to be a, a, a real troubling journey of that fight of good and evil, my fellow Americans, you know. Uh, we're joined here today with Daniel Baranowski talking, uh, if I were the devil, uh, Paul Harvey. Uh, yeah, again, uh, the most, uh, surely I come to two names, they always come to mind, iconic uh, messaging voices resonate. You, you can hear the voice in your head. It never goes away. You know what I'm talking about there? You know, Paul Harvey, I'm speaking, Rush Limbaugh. You, you, see, you can, it's just like they were in the room next to you speaking because they they were larger than life that's the way i would say it they they were larger than life they connected they connected with people in ways that uh, and that's that's the beauty of talk radio right there is that connectivity with people when you can there is something powerful about that you know we're we're, to, we're here together on a mission here it is it's that connectivity that's what we have here with this amazing medium. I love talk radio, love what it does and what we can do together with it. So I'm going to uh, uh, take a pause here, just a moment, my fellow Americans, and uh, we'll continue on. You know, there's some interesting uh, quotes that Harvey has had over the years that really do want to make you think. But I also want you to know that not all is lost. Not all is lost. And the problems are many. The challenges can seem great and overwhelming, even, you bet. But it was Harvey who said this, and I quote, each generation imagines that we're all going to hell. Each generation goes through a little hell and comes out heat-tempered and better than before. So I think that's what I would question you all in position that. What do you think about that? Is this just the moment of time where we're being tried and tested for the battles ahead? 
And does this mean we come out better in the end? And I, and I often speak about that. Sometimes we have to step back before we step forward. Sometimes we have to do an accounting of the situation, of the challenges here, right? I mean, there are those times. Is this one of those moments is the question. Well, we bring it back to what Harvey says right there. And sure, and each generation thinks they are going to hell and they think that's it. I remember my parents saying that back in the day as well. Saying, what's the matter with these kids today? You know, what's the matter with these kids today? I heard that a lot as a young lad. You know, what the country's going to hell in a handbag. We're, we're dying here. That's ending, you know, right? I mean, we heard all that as kids. And yet somehow the nation prevailed. Now, does that mean we take it for granted? Well, I don't think so, my fellow Americans. I don't think so. We'll join you back in just a moment here. You're listening to the voice of a nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, Taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Liberty on the pursuit of 2022 is upon us. Happy New Year, my fellow Americans. Eleanor Roosevelt says the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. May you realize your dreams in the new year we trust. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to the Voice of a Nation. It is Malcolm Out Loud here, yours truly. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. And thank you for being with us on the mission here, my fellow Americans here. We're joined today with my dear friend and colleague, Daniel Baranowski. If I were the devil, uh, Paul Harvey, uh, iconic voices, message in this that will live forever. Uh, and the bigger picture of life we're looking at here, you know, this is one, this is the kind of talk today you want to take up to 50,000 feet and really look at things down there and uh, begin to say okay how do we how do we fix this thing and you know i i end in that previous segment there daniel uh with one of the i think one of the more interesting quotes and i say this because you know there are a lot of people i know who believe it's over with and i i hear a lot of people say oh my god it's the most important election of our lifetime and and of course you know every election is the most important of our lifetime and i hear that a lot and then i hear people say well like if we don't get this now it's done we're over we're we're finished kaput 
And I always say to myself, like, is that really true? Well, that can't be true because, you know, we're supposed to be here on this fight of good and evil. I mean, there's a mission here and, and, and God challenges us to, to take on that fight every day. So when Harvey says, and I quote, each generation imagines that we're all going to hell. Each generation goes through a little hell, but, and they come out heat tempered and better than before. You know, that really says something because we should always have hope. We should always be optimistic for what tomorrow should be. So let me say to you, okay, so the problems are many. The challenges, the cup runneth over and we see it in all walks of life. But at the same time, as we step back and we do inventory of the greatest nation that there ever was, and the fact that we were born into the B and right here in the United States of America, what can we pull good from this moment, Daniel? What can we pull good from this moment of time? What can we take forward to wake people up with, sir? Well, uh, another quote from Paul, he said, I've never seen a monument erected to a pessimist. <laughs> so, so I, you gotta have, you gotta have hope, but you know, we, everything the talk radio is about today is getting us involved and engaged. It's not enough just to know something. We have to do something. And, you know, I, I have three sons and they're spanned out over practically a generation. Um, our youngest is about 14 years younger than, than the next to the older middle son and even 16 years. And they're like in two different, two different generations completely. Generations aren't 20 years anymore, I don't think. Uh, the two older ones are still very much in the liberal camp of we should let everybody cross the border and lots of other things. The youngest one, though, is is a conservative. And uh, and so I, I guess in that there, there is hope that there are conservatives coming along the way. But I'd have to say all three of them are are grounded once again in those morals. And, and all we can do is continue to call out right from wrong. Let me ask and, you this, please. Let me ask you now, uh, take a look at, let's just take two sons, no names to use, uh, yeah, sure. a, li a liberal-minded son and a conservative-minded son. I'm curious. I'm curious. How does that happen within a family? I'm thinking about America all across families where, you know, it's political, people talk at the table. How does one son come up with more of that sort of a view, both grounded in morals, as you say, ethics, what have you, yeah. but one has that more view of the world and one has a different sort of view as well. How does that happen? Do you know? Yeah, I, I, I'd have to say, <laughs> I'd have to say that the eldest son is a University of Pennsylvania graduate and a, a Northwestern Kellogg uh, School of Business master's uh, uh, son. And uh, they really got their liberal exposure in college. Um, and the youngest one, although he, he's um, a registered nurse and went through college too, he went through the junior college route, got his degree online and things like that, but but really stayed, stayed grounded in where I, our, his mother and uh, my my values are and and so I, I think that that extra time that he spent with us he lived here during college instead of going away uh, you know it, it, it's interesting you know another Paul Harvey quote who said communism has defeated itself everywhere except in American colleges well that says a lot right there what you just say I mean let's let's just pause that moment a, mo a moment here because you know, 
we talk and we talk about the indoctrination of the children. We talk about all of these teachings that are happening in the education system, uh, my friend. We talk about all of that. Talk about the critical race theory and the, the the gender issues and all of these things. And it's throughout the whole system. It's not just colleges. It's all through K through twelve. It's absolutely everywhere. Um, we've we we've we've isolated the problem. The one thing the COVID pandemic has done is changed some of that a little bit because it's, I think it's probably woken a lot of people up and not in the woke way that they want it to be, but really gotten them to pay attention because a lot more people now are aware if COVID has done any good, and of course it, it very little, but if you look over a silver lining, it's probably made people more aware in those families of the teachings of the schools and the fact they don't want their kids to be playing on that sort of a playground atmosphere. And so back to your thoughts of your two liberal and conservative and the schools they went to and how they came out on the other side of that, that seems to be the, the, the central argument of where we're going wrong. So back to fixing that, if the education system is as screwed up as it is, as we say it is, as we think it is, then getting back to the action of this stuff, Daniel, Back to, yes. you know, the damage that's done. And the, let's talk about damage control and the fact a lot of, and I'm talking about middle America out there, families who are now probably for the first time, many of them are aware now that their kids are learning stuff that they have no clue that they're learning of this perversion and this, this sexual perversion garbage and this gender stuff that's running rapid and racism garbage that they're being taught and jammed down their throats. So if we don't now, we've isolated the problem Let's talk about fixing that problem for the next generations, because if we don't do that, there's going to be a lot of generations that are going to fall in the way of like your older son because they get out of college and they think, yeah, it's all sort of pushed in their brain. They've been brainwashed, Daniel. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, I've got two suggestions okay. or one is just an observation, really, and that is nothing could be better than having awaken a sleeping, massive, powerful giant. And that is parents. Parents aren't going to put up with what's going on, especially in the young grades. And it's right at the moral decay. All these books that are putting it, put in libraries, uh, you know, with, even you have college professors, you know, are defending this stuff, saying that, well, you know, pedophilia isn't really what people are making it out to be. It just means that that older people really like younger people. I mean, the, the perversions are great, but the American parent is waking up. And you know what? With the, as numbers, you know, this is the problem all the time. You get one person to speak up in in a, in a crew, and nobody wants to take that that leadership role. But all of a sudden, when you hit that critical mass, that tipping point, to where there's a hundred people standing with you now, that changes everything around. And the other thing in, in terms of colleges, per se, you, I'm hearing from more and more people all the time how, how really ripped they are that they're paying $50,000 in tuition to be online with their college because the colleges won't even let them come attend regular classes. And so you've got this whole economic thing to say, what am I doing here in college that isn't even really college? It's just an online experience and I'm being hammered that I have to get this shot and that shot and wear masks and, and all the other. There's You can't get together with anybody. There's no parties. There's no interacting. I think there's going to be a whole reassessment as these people begin to realize the tremendous debt they're taking on. And their parents are also saying, 
hey, you may want to go to the University of Chicago, but we've got a pretty good college right around the block here and you can live at home to cut costs, but we're not footing this bill. Um, and so I, I, I think that they've done themselves such damage. If you give them enough rope, they'll hang themselves. Well, we started taking on a government responsibility for all these student loans. And now we have more administrators in college than we have actually professors and teachers. And it, it's all coming back to, to that core problem. But as, but as far as the instructors, you know, they have really gravitated. They pushed out anybody with a conservative view. You see this happen all the time. Yeah. This professor gets dismissed or whatever because he, he just said no. He just said, we're not, we're not going to teach that mm-hmm. uh, in, my, in my college class. Or I'm not going to be making these uh, political statements. And they've all become really, uh, uh, I heard this term the other day, instead of being public servants, uh, being political servants, and, and they serve a political cause. They're, they're not really serving the public's deeds. And I think that, that that's going to be apparent more and more as these kids get out of college, they don't have any skills. Mm-hmm. And they're wondering, you know, uh, why is that? And, and so somewhere along the line, I think that's going to turn around. But, so um, with all that said now, America has become a nation of two mindsets here, Daniel, uh, with this through the college system, the indoctrination, the things where people there's a belief system. There's a good part of the country of uh, what percentage we don't really know uh, that uh, believe that this social welfare security net apparatus, federal government, big brother, hello, hallelujah, that somehow it's a beautiful thing in the neighborhood. Uh, yeah. Bring it on and let's do it. There's a, a, what percentage that is, you know, and I often talk about the minority and the majority. I want to remind listeners, remind you as well, that th- when we talk about these problems and these challenges, it's really important to remember this is the minority. The minority is the evil. It's real important to refresh the memory of everybody. The majority is good. I'm absolutely certain of the point I make here. Absolutely certain of it. There are more of us than there are of them. But America has become more than it's a shallow thing to say it's a divided nation. It's beyond a divided nation. There are two mindsets in our nation. There is the mindset that America comes from our founding principles that we're a constitutional uh, republic of such. We do stand for the flag. We do praise God. We have certain fundamentals that uh, moral values are there. We're raised a certain way. We understand the fight of good and evil. And then there's this cancer, there's this corruption, and the corruption is all throughout the system. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's in every particular field. It's in the media world. It's in the social media world. It's surely in the colleges. Uh, It's, it's, it's absolutely exists in our law enforcement, it exists in our military, it surely exists in the halls of Congress. And, and we have to understand and isolate who is that minority? Who are they? That's that mentality that this uh, kumbaya social big government welfare net is a good thing, which right. really takes America on another path, not a path we were ever thinking we'd have to be challenged with. This gets to a big issue now here, my friend, because we never thought we'd be having this kind of a fight at this moment of our lives. That we'd be struggling to hang on to freedom, freedom, basic freedom. We'd be having that sort of a fight. Like we're having a fight of communism in our freaking nation. It was like, how does that happen? (laughs) That's that mindset we're at. 
so I'm guessing I don't, that percentage, Daniel, that percentage sure. of that mindset back to that schools and where we're at to really understand the problem. I mean, we really don't know, but if we're really to guess, I mean, is it 10%? Is it 20%? Is it 30%? Surely yeah. it's not more than that. Um, well, I, what, I, what I, I think, I think there's a, uh, you know, it, it absolutely. It, it, and this is, this is once again, so, so delicious 65 years ago. I don't, I don't, let me back up a little bit. I don't know where you grew up, Malcolm. I grew up in Mesa, Arizona, small town, about 18,000 people. Uh, I'm Catholic, but a very Mormon city, Latter-day Saints and all kinds of youth. It was, it was, you consider, you know, the Rockwell kind of small town and, Paul Harvey, 65 years ago, said in small towns as well as large, good people always outnumber bad people 100 to 1. In big towns, the 100 are nervous. In small towns, it's the 1. <laughs> and that, that's, the, that's what Trump tapped into. Uh, that's what Harvey was, always spoke to. He spoke to all these places we call flyover country. Nobody thinks that America is New York City, but you're led to believe that. No one believes that Philadelphia is America, but you're led to believe, or Los Angeles. And, but we don't have names for all these little towns. They're like, who's got time for all that? But when you put those together, that is where the resurrection's got to happen. It's, it's in those places that we have to get those people engaged to say, you need to take a little time out of your day to pay attention to this and vote or to be informed or whatever. Because if you're counting on the big cities, well, it is that 100 people in the big cities are all nervous about that one person who's making all the racket and they're, and they're all scared and they all walk away from it. And, 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 and that's who the Democrats play to. You don't see Democrats out in these small towns. Uh, it, these are conservative places. They're the ones that are going to church every Sunday. They're the ones that are having the bake sales. They're the ones and they're all attending the youth games that are going on. Uh, all the things that we've always thought about as success, and it comes back to again, which one of the things we started with is family. Mm -hmm. You know, the strength of families uh, in these small places is what it's, what it's really all about. Yeah, they're, they're playing to fear, Daniel. They're playing yeah. to fear, and that fear, it... Uh, it, it What's the it, cancel culture, you know? It, yeah, yeah. It, it, it plays, it it, uh, it rents and buys space in people's brains is what it does, okay? And yeah. they push that fear, uh, the media does, in collaboration with the Marxist left. Uh, it's a really a one-two sucker punch to the gut, sadly, and America is not the better for it. Uh, so, uh, again, uh, my fellow Americans, we're joined uh, by Daniel Baranowski. If I were the devil is this talk today in 2022. It is a moment we need to draw inventory on our nation, our great nation. You know, somebody, uh, a media personality asked me yesterday about uh, just uh, how important the nation was to me. I, I guess they had a sense from me. Was it more profits and business I was concerned with? Or was it more the nation I was concerned with? Or how could they really help America out loud? And where are we at exactly? 
And I had just had that conversation. I, well, of course, profits and business part of it really doesn't come to my, uh, that's not the first thing on my mind ever. It really is the nation. It's innate in what we do. It's who we are. It's what this is. It what, it's what the journey represents. Uh, and so I, I will leave it here with you as, as I say to you that uh, this journey is, is quite purposeful where we're at right now. Uh, Paul Harvey said a lot of fascinating things. He has uh, some of the most amazing quotes and words. And one of them, we talk about the minority and the majority. I've been sharing with you in recent broadcast. Let me read this to you. He, Paul Harvey says this, and I quote, in small towns as well as large, good people outnumber bad people by 100 to one. In big towns, the 100 are nervous, but in small towns, it's the one. You see, Harvey always had his eye on that, that marble out there, that blue marble in our gift uh, from God and where we sit in all of this. And so uh, the message I'll leave you with today, my fellow Americans, is that uh, good prevails. There are more of us. We should never take it for granted. We should always fight for what is right in front of us, that good, that fight of good and evil. It's right there. We're supposed to fight for this. So we don't want to be in the back seat here. We want to be prime in the game. We don't want to be on the sidelines either. We want to be in the game here. As Daniel was just saying, voting, telling others, carrying the torch forward. That's the whole message. And it's the message we deliver on America Out Loud every day. You know, here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Uh, I thank you for joining us here today and being with me on the mission. And I thank my dear friend and collaborator on this uh, amazing project, uh, Daniel Baranowski. Friends, may 2022 be the year that we make the ultimate difference in our nation, where we're able to bring it forward and step one moment closer to what God had envisioned this planet and this nation, America, to be. I wish you well and a jump in your step always. Remember, it's time to get involved and get loud.